Welcome to Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Peter Crable. What's up, man? Hey, man. Good to see you there on the Zoom screen. Yeah, nice to see you. Hair's getting longer every week. You know it. Yep. Yeah, living the dream. Uh, and, of course, Mr. C.H. Siddons. Hey, Casey. Hey. How's it going? How are you, buddy? Oh, it's, I'm great. Mr. Crable. I'm a little je- I listened to the episode last episode, and I must say, I'm a little jealous of the audio quality of my compatriots. <laughs> you were, well, that's interesting because. It's only slightly better than my own quality, but it's enough for me to notice that I am, again, a middle child. <laughs> Did it cause you one of those millennial moments you had, like in that text the other, the other, the other night where you ended up apologizing? <laughs> I have enough self-awareness that, I can I can I can understand that um I am very impatient with people having trouble with technology. Oh my jeez. I've never noticed that about you before. I did. Oh god, <laughs> when you sent me that text about someone having trouble accessing the podcast, it blew me through the roof. <laughs> I I know it and doesn't take much. <laughs> and I I will say that I didn't get defensive, did I? I You I didn't. Was, you didn't, I, but I was, I was okay. again, again, I I be, I self-aware and I brought it back and I apologized even though the person never heard me say it uh I pulled it back you know when I when you checked out those slides that I shared with you today for a presentation that you and I are doing Uh uh-huh do you know you do know the first thing you said was that you were going to check my spelling no I didn't say that I actually was in the middle of checking your spelling (laughs) (laughs) because the the weird thing about the weird thing about technology is that it puts a big bright red underline under the things you spell wrong. Okay. It's a new thing. It's new. And, and then isn't that funny? Then he has to get mean about it. Listen, it yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I didn't even get to do any of the intro stuff because we got into it right away. Uh, folks, thanks for joining us. You can find us on Twitter at Ed's Not Dead PC. Check out our website, edsnotdead.com. Um, and as always, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. Dudes, we have a very big show tonight, I have oh, to man. say. Yeah, we do. Uh, we are incredibly psyched to have Secretary of Education, former Secretary, but we'll still refer to him as Secretary of Education, John King, mm-hmm. is on END tonight. And then we're also really excited to have a local politician uh, or potentially future politician, Dr. Sunil Desgupta, who's running for the at-large seat on the Montgomery County Public Schools Board of Education. So we're going to have we're going to have a little bit of local flavor, and then we're going to talk to John King about big educational issues. That's very right. exciting. It's awesome. Yep. And a John, John King's a bit of a local flavor, though, too. Uh, yes, he, yes, yeah, he, he is. He's, he's a he's a community member. He is now. That's that's for sure. And I'd like to give a shout out to our friend of the pod, Jill Ortman Faust, who helped us connect with John King. And she's a loyal listener of Ed's Not Dead. So thank you, Jill. Indeed. All right, fellas. It's that time of the show. Show feedback. We already heard about your your friend who was tense because you and I were tense, Mr. Siddons. What else do you Oh, got? yes. Uh, so we got feedback from uh, listener Margaret, she said, I have to tell you that I so enjoy listening to Ed's Not Dead in my morning walks. And she loved the toilet paper quiz from last yeah, week. That was a good one. She goes, even though 
None of us know what the fall brings. I do love hearing you all speculate. Your conversations are so important. Take care. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you. She's always then, given, she's always given us props. We, we got some good retweets from her over the over the over the years. Yep. Uh, and then uh, an old friend of mine, Sarah, from uh, she's actually a teacher in Camden, New Jersey, in a charter school. She said uh, she got caught up on our two most recent episodes. She said I thought they were great, and she said about me. She said, I've never read anything by her talking about Diane Ravitch, but she, Sarah said that she loved when I went off about grading, which is about every episode. So <laughs> it's hard to say which one that's from. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a reoccurring theme, Sarah. Just tune, yeah. in, just tune in again and he'll be talking <laughs> about grading. <laughs> if it's not Dear Betsy, it's about grading. So. Oh, grades are so unfair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're arbitrary. <laughs> Uh, is that it for show feedback? That's all we got for now. Those are the highlights. I don't want to go through all of it, but those, uh, those I are the do. Highlights. I would be remiss if I didn't uh, mention again that we do have a new blog post up. Yep. We do. Uh, Principles in the Classroom. And then uh, I think we should, by the time this comes out, we should have the next, the next one in our COVID series up. Uh, okay. What's it called, Casey? No More Snow Days? The End of Snow Days? The End of Snow Days, yeah. Question mark? Why didn't why didn't written why, by Buzz, Buzzkill Casey Siddons? I know. Can I can I do I have access to like get That's my in middle the, name? Get in the blog and change the title to No More Fun. No, we'll just we'll just name it Millennials Rise. <laughs> that <School. one. laughs> Rename it School. Nothing to look forward to. <laughs> I can't believe you want to kill snow days. It's not. If you read the article, you would know that's not what I'm advocating. I read part of it. It's only an analysis. That's all. Okay. All right. I. I. You have. You. You did your research. I saw in there. There's like a zillion hyperlinks to stories on it. Listen, I do what I can. Hey, there's your. There's your bride. That's Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Okay. (laughs) It's like when Bill Burr's wife comes down and and gives him hell. Bill Buzz in the pod. Hey, Sarah, I saw Frida today. She's she's gorgeous she, as always. Robbie said she's he saw Frida today. She can't hear you, Robbie. He's got headphones in. Okay, well we know that I have some technical <laughs> issues. <laughs> she found it. Whatever she's looking for. <laughs> All right, you re- are you ready to? Oh, it's a jar of GM. <laughs> what's she What's she getting? Peanut, Peanut butter. butter. Is Frida asleep, Mister Sids? Yeah, she's been asleep since five thirty. Oh, that's a good life, right? So, there. so quarantine has not changed her schedule at all. No, you know I stick to a schedule. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's not much more to say about that. Nope. She sleeps from five thirty to six thirty in the morning, mostly to seven. She eats and then she goes to sleep again at nine, and then she usually switches that for t- to ten thirty, maybe eleven. And then we get another nap in the afternoon. If she wakes up before 6.30, you do calmly explain to her that that is not the schedule that you created? <laughs> no, I don't even go in. Okay. No. <laughs> that, that stairway behind you, can she only f- crawl up one way or down the other? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious. I think that's three episodes in a row where the one-way one stairwell has, has come up. In one way I will never other. back down from that. You're on a streak. That was a great recommendation, and it's a great implemented uh, program. And that's okay. <laughs> such an important part of school. Like, all right, Mr. Krabs found an article for us that is uh, overly long, but it's only like sixteen pages. <laughs> interesting. Um, 
And of course, I, I'm the one that drew the short straw and, and, and has to set it up. So you two feel free to jump in if I miss anything. Will do. Uh, the title of the article is The Grade Level Expectations Trap, How Lockstep Math Lessons Leave Students Behind. It's by Joel Rose, and it's in Education Next, which is a source we use quite frequently. So, Mr. Crable, you were, you were hitting me with... Um, a metaphor of an iceberg representing American public education's curriculum, I guess, math specifically. Yes. Uh, before the show started and before my eyes glazed over as you explained <laughs> it, <laughs> would you would you jump in and tell us about what that means for, especially the situation that we're in right now with yes. um, falling, but kids falling behind and what's going to happen next year? Right. I will take over the abdication of your responsibility as host to explain the article. (laughs) That's what I was getting at. But yeah. Um, Yeah. So the general premise is uh, that every year in math, you teach to the grade level curriculum, regardless of what kids know or don't know coming in. And by the time you get to the middle grade, specifically sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, you have kids. who are potentially all over the place in what they know. And so the analogy uh, that they have used in this article is the iceberg analogy. And if you think about um, all the things that a kid, quote, should know by the end of the year, um, let's say a kid only masters 50% of that. So you have 50% of the iceberg above the water, and then the 50% below is what they haven't learned yet. Now, when you move to seventh grade, that 50% that they didn't learn, it stays below they still don't learn it because they're moving on to new, bigger, better, more complex skills. So then they actually learn less from the seventh grade curriculum. You add more under the iceberg, under the water that they don't know. And then by eighth grade, you have the same pattern repeating. So by the time the kids get to eighth grade, there's potentially, you know, 50, 75% of these, um, these skills that a kid has not learned. And so the premise and the, the question that this article asks is, does it really make sense to teach math specifically that way? Or should we always identify where kids are lagging um, skill and content wise and specifically target um, what they don't know uh, in terms of like more individualized instruction? Yeah. And, and use the, the, the dirty, the dirty R word. Yeah. You know what the nation? Correct. Yep. <laughs> And I, 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 found, I was particularly struck by the part where it was talking about the tension between the, what he was calling the individualized instruction or personalized learning and the, poli- the quote, policy context rooted in grade level expectations. I think that's something that all teachers uh, tussle with, no matter what content you're teaching, is how much do you spend remediating or how much do you spend focusing on things that were learned in previous years and how much do you spend pushing forward on skills and, and content that you have to learn for that school year? Um, my, I, I think my, I don't have an answer for it cause I've never, I've only taught, I only taught math once in a summer school environment. Um, my, my question is why but you said you, could, it, you said you could, you said you could teach calculus one time, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> you just gotta have that growth mindset. Yeah, I, I think I, I, yeah, I could. I could. Okay, I think sorry. That, I think ahead. that teaching I think teaching skills and pedagogy is more important than content. But okay. um, so 
why is it that math tends to be the only subject that is continuously tracked in schools, whereas all other subjects or most other subjects have been detracted in the secondary environment, um, where they're they're not having like various levels of content. Um, I, I I I'm I was also struck by my experience in middle school. It seemed like there was always contention in how teachers differentiate or the expectations for differentiating instruction with math classes where there was a pushback in terms of it's just not something that's possible or something that's plausible in a math classroom in secondary environments. Well, let me, let me answer the first point um, in terms of why math is different. Um, and so I don't know how factually based this is, but you know, they talk about throw it out there. Who cares I, about I will. facts? Are 2020, baby. But you know, the math skills build upon one another. So the example they use here, fifth grade kids learn operations with fractions. Fifth, sixth grade, they learn operations with decimals. Sixth grade, understanding integers and rational numbers. And by seventh grade, they're putting all of those together. It's called, sure. it's called, a, it's called a spiraling right. curriculum. No, I, I, I get that. I, I think, but what about teaching reading? Isn't there as many, if not more, nuances to, to the development of reading and trying to help kids read primary sources or reading a novel or nonfiction versus fiction? or Yeah, a reading is a complex learning endeavor as well. So I, I guess, w- why isn't the expectation that teachers just differentiate and promote differentiated instruction and not remediation or some type, type of special program that this article is promoting? Well, because I think what they say, and I find it fairly plausible to believe, is that if you were to walk into a classroom, and the example they use is a sixth grade classroom, and kids were not all doing the sixth grade curriculum, how on board would administrators be with that? I think it, I, I know that from my experience observing, whether the extent to which they were connecting their lessons to the curriculum was less important than the relationships that they were trying to build with kids in the class and less important than the, the reasons why they were teaching that particular lesson on that particular day. But maybe Robbie can speak more towards the principal's lens. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. So what's the point there, Peter? I don't get your point about what's the administrator going to say. What's that matter? Well, because teachers and, 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 and when do they get into classrooms anyway? <laughs> Never. <laughs> well, no, I would say because teachers by and large are under pressure to do to teach to the grade level curriculum to get through the curriculum for the year to get to the test at the end of the year to have the test reflect what students are able to know and do by the end of the year. Okay, that's so there's that, an, there's an inherent pressure to get through the curriculum. That that's a good answer. I mean, I I would um, I would ask the question, and this has been a criticism that you've heard me say on the show quite a bit about curriculum in general, math specifically, that, you know, American public education has always been accused of having, uh, at least at the elementary level, elementary mathematics curriculum that's, to your iceberg analogy, of a mile wide and an inch deep. So, for example, when I taught fourth grade, we taught everything from time to money to both the metric system and standard measurement to equivalent fractions. 
Right. Okay. And so you taught all that in a year and it was too much. It, it was, there, there are countries around the world, for example, you know, I've told you guys, I was a part of a, a elementary school pilot where we piloted the Singapore national math curriculum. Right. And Singapore had a very tight um, sequence, scope and sequence of math curriculum. Now, it didn't necessarily, you know, curriculum is cultural too, as Lev Vygotsky would tell you. Um, so taking Singapore's curriculum and sticking it in the United States didn't automatically work with the way our kids had had been taught previously. But the point is, is that um, you spent a, a heck of a lot of time on place value in fourth grade and not a lot of time on anything else. And you you spend time on it until you learn it. So, so I would say, you know, do we have a, first and foremost, do we have a standards and curriculum problem? And my guess is, is in some places we still do. The other thing, the other part of this to me though, is a mindset question. Um, because, you know, the reality of teaching is, is that you can teach kids the basic facts in second or third grade till you're blue in the face and some kids are not going to get it then developmentally they're just not and and so do you stay there with them and remediate them and and teach to the lower correct correct before they're allowed god forbid to move on (laughs) to work on anything else I mean, that's what I'm getting out of this article as I'm sitting and re- reading it for the first time. <laughs> is the, is, I, I, I mean, to me, in a way, personalized instruction is another way for let's spend an inordinate amount of time on remediating kids on things that they, they're struggling getting. Right. Um, and like, I, I, like I've, there's a, an exorbitant amount of teachers that I've worked with, not worked with, but... Um, experienced in some capacity where they spend the first few weeks of the year focusing on map skills and and map identification skills in the sixth grade. And it's like, well, is that really a good use of time? And what tells you that kids need to know that? Um, I I think to your point also about the principals and them going into the classroom, I, I take a little bit of an issue, whether it's a principal or any trained observer and them coming back with the expect or the the assumption that things aren't going well by one observation or that that they're not teaching appropriately based on one observation i think if if you have a pattern of 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 a teacher um not teaching to the curriculum over a period of time over several observations i think that's something that needs to be addressed so i mean a couple points so robbie to your point about kids falling behind and let's not remediate them and let's move them forward. So this article cites longitudinal studies, many of them um, (laughs) say that students that by fourth grade who have not met grade level expectations have a 46% chance of reaching those grade level expectations in eighth grade. Those below in eighth grade had a 19% by 12th grade. And when you look at the lowest scoring students, their chances of meeting the 8th and 12th grade uh, benchmarks were 10 and 3% respectively. So there is some correlation between early math struggles um, to, to grasp what, whatever it is um, and then later on struggles as well. I, I know. So would you, kids that struggle in fourth grade, would you retain them and have them repeat the grade? 
<laughs> no. Uh, okay. It's not surprising though, given if they're having struggles, they're not having a good time. They're not engaged in it and they don't want to be a part of it. How, how much, how much of, how much of the struggle to, to, um, and this is a, this is kind of a, you know, this could be an incendiary kind of question, but how much of the struggle with learning is, 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 is impact is a factor of what's happening outside of school. Um, and the support that, and yeah. the support that kids have. Um, I mean, I, I, my guess is, is that, um, you know, I, I listen, I, I can, I can just as easily argue against myself and say that there's, I totally believe that these foundational skills are critical and, you know, you, you, you can't really do equivalent fractions unless you've mastered your basic facts. Yeah, for sure. Um, but at the same time, you know, I've, I've seen examples, you know, Johns Hopkins recently did a study where they found that teachers were spending too much time in reading and literacy, reading language arts in guided reading groups with kids at their, what they call instructional level, where they, where they kind of are right at that time versus moving them into a frustrational range, which challenges them. There's and, no proximal learning. Correct. <laughs> and, and, and so when, when you, you know, you, you've got to, you've got to keep kids moving. You've got to raise the standards. And I do believe, I mean, have, have either of you ever had an instance in your life where you didn't understand something in a given time and then eventually you did? Many, Maybe many not times. you, Crable, because you were <laughs> probably a superior student to both no. me and C.H. Siddons. No, no, definitely. Um, I, I mean, stuff clicks with kids. <laughs> You know, and, and, you know, let me say, uh, you know, from a, a personal uh, standpoint, you know, um, a program that I've, I've helped implement and pioneer, you know, we take kids who are in algebra in seventh grade. Right. Um, they're kind of tracked into that from an early elementary school level. And then we mix in um, on about 20% roughly of kids who um, are quote unquote not ready, who are not on the algebra track. But they're above a certain threshold right. on, like, well, in our case, MAPM. Right. And what we found is above a specific threshold, those kids actually do really well right. in yeah. algebra. And they're not at the 50th percentile. They're not at the 80th percentile. You know what I mean? It's not um, the kids that are just scoring off the charts on everything. They're kids that are pretty average. And right. so there is something... Um, because one year we had it where we, I took kids in that were sort of like below this threshold and some of them really struggled. So we tried to figure out like, okay, what is, and I don't know skill wise what the threshold is, um, but there does seem to be a knowledge base that is necessary specifically for algebra to access some of that algebra content and curriculum on an accelerated basis. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I will say Casey, um, I do have experience teaching a heterogeneous math class. I did it for two years um, in fourth and fifth grade. And, um, you know, I loved having a, a mix of kids. Yeah. But I will tell you, it was not easy. Um, no, because, I listen. I, because yeah, I, 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 I had kids that were literally probably in fourth grade could have been 
in some kind of a pre-algebra or algebra class. That's how, yeah. that, that's how ready they were. And then I had kids with really basic numeracy issues. And I, I totally, listen, I, I think that's, um, you, you, when you talk about differentiation, how it starts in the guidance office yep. and the master schedule, that's absolutely true because I had classes where I had kids who were on the second grade reading level in sixth grade and kids who yep. were reading um, the equivalent of, of 12th grade textbooks in when they're 11 years old. So I think differentiation can occur if, if it's facilitated the right way from the master scheduler's point of view uh, and from the guidance office. Um, I would like to end uh, or at least try to close out on this last point. If you scroll, if you scroll all the way down to the, uh, the article, I found the, 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 the last bit about um, when this program went into schools and the growth they saw in, in individual schools whether the school was focusing on proficiency or growth and yep. how the, the schools succeeded or achieved based on those particular um, outlooks. I was very struck by the fact that the, I guess it makes sense um, if you believe in the growth mindset and you, you look, you, you, you've read the research. Um, but the, the schools that were focused on growth um, had, had an extremely more successful time than those focused on just hitting a specific score. Yeah, I well, and I I'm not, I mean, I don't think any of us are quibbling with growth. No, yeah, I, yeah, I, I just thought I, it was interesting to to as they as they ended it. I think how you operationalize this in an actual school and make it work is very is, is 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 a, is a challenge. And I would yeah. just I would just say that just like everything else we talk about on this show in education, you know, it's always a series of trade offs, right? Yeah, I mean that's that's typically what what these conversations come down to all right crable's given me the signal we got to go to a break folks uh don't go away when we come back we're incredibly excited to have secretary of education john king on the show we'll be right back John B. King Jr. is the president and CEO of the Education Trust, a national nonprofit organization that seeks to identify and close opportunity and achievement gaps from preschool through college. King served in President Barack Obama's cabinet as the 10th U.S. Secretary of Education. King joined the department following his tenure as the first African-American and Puerto Rican to serve as New York State Education Commissioner. King began his career in education as a high school social studies teacher in Puerto Rico and Boston, Massachusetts, and as a middle school principal. Welcome, John. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. It's great to have you. All right, we're going to jump right in. Uh, It's reasonable to expect that the recent shutdown of schools, which I know has impacted you as a parent and also you've been involved as an educator, has had a really negative effect on many groups of students. Um, but most specifically on students who are already at risk, how can we mitigate the effects of the last eight weeks moving forward? Yeah. Well, just as you say, I think, you know, we have to acknowledge that many of the inequities that we're seeing now existed Mm pre-COVID-19. It's just COVID-19 has put them into sharper relief. And the question is, what are we going to do about it? In the short run, I think we've got to make distance learning work better for high need students. And we can't give up on this school year. So we need to make sure that kids have devices. And that means not just a device in the home, 
but actually a device for every kid in the home to be working simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to make sure kids have internet access, um, which means not only is there bandwidth, but can they get internet service themselves? And we still have the problem throughout the country of cable companies not letting parents sign up for internet service if they have an outstanding balance. Mm. Uh, we still have uh, undocumented families being asked for a ton of personal information that they're uncomfortable providing, so they're not able mm. to get internet. We've done some polling that suggests 30 to 40% or more of low-income families do not have access to a device and reliable internet for their kids. So we've got to solve those things in the short run. We've got to provide professional development and training for teachers in an ongoing way around doing online learning well and make the most of this school year. And then we've got to look towards next school year and think in terms of summer uh, support over the, over this summer, which could be in person or online, depending on how the pandemic evolves. Uh, we've got to think about expanded learning time next school year. We've got to think about summer 21 and additional mm-hmm. programming because we know kids are going to lose ground academically and we can't afford to have a lost generation of students. John, what, what role should the federal government play in, in broadband internet? I, I mean, I, it seems like to me that access to internet now should be like access to electricity was at one time, that, that everyone in this country should be connect, connected. It should be you know, a right is a strong word, but, but, but it should be something that everyone has. Um, and it doesn't seem to us that the federal government is very involved in making sure this happens for kids and families. What, is, there, is there an expanded role that they should have? Yes. I mean, look, in the richest country in the world, yeah. we should make sure every family has access to the internet. And we can do that if we're willing to invest the resources Uh, There's a proposal in Congress to put $4 billion towards addressing uh, this digital divide, Mm -hmm. the homework gap, if you will, making sure uh, that students have access to devices and internet. Uh, This used to be a concern Mm pre-COVID-19 about homework. Now it's a concern about all of kids' work. Uh, So I'm hopeful that if there's another round of stimulus funding here Mm -hmm. in the next few weeks, that that $4 billion will be included. That would help immensely. Okay. Um, but we also need the service providers to step up. Comcast yeah. in mm-hmm. Oakland, after a lot of pressure from community activists, waived the outstanding balance requirement. All internet service providers should do well, that. Yeah. So um, you, you brought up kind of edu- where we are educationally, and you mentioned the summer. And so you recently wrote an article with uh, Randy Weingarten titled What Comes Next for Public Schooling, where you advocate impartially for a multi-week summer school program to address learning loss. So I'm curious um, like what that would look like. Do you, is it sort of more of the same in terms of distance learning and online learning? Um, I know a lot of it depends on um, sort of what happens on the ground health-wise, states reopening, so on and so forth. But at the very least, um, you know, is, is that what it would look like? Or do you envision it looking um, somewhat different than it currently looks? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. It depends on how the pandemic plays out and, and what is you know, consistent with the best public health advice. What we try to argue, what Randy and I try to argue in that piece is that there's an opportunity to be creative about what summer looks like. Yeah. That you could 
think very differently about the course design, right? It doesn't have to just be an extended version of the traditional coursework. You could and probably should so that students are engaged and eager to be there in the summer. Uh, you could do things like robotics. You could mm -hmm. do things like a theater program that allows students to work on literacy skills but embeds them in, in the arts, right? So there's an opportunity, I think, to let teachers be creative in the course design. Mm -hmm. I also think there's a, there's a real need to think in terms of acceleration, not just remediation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Northern Virginia Community College just announced that they are going to make available online community college courses for credit for all high school juniors and seniors in their oh, region. Wow. That's a fantastic idea. We should be idea. doing a ton of that around yeah. the country. Yeah. Um, so put your crystal ball, get your crystal ball out. Um, what do you think? You, we all, you are keenly aware of how hard it is to change, um, change anything in a public school system just because of how big they are or just how decentralized we are. Uh, what do you perceive is going to be like the top three major changes moving forward for public education once we get beyond this this pandemic? Well, uh, let me try to be hopeful because... <laughs> yeah, that's good. Look, oh, you know, the, the, they're, these they're, two are really negative all the time. So <laughs> no, we'll take, we'll no. take hopeful. <laughs> right, I mean, because, because we have to say, you know, if the federal government fails to provide significant stimulus funding, and we've called for at least $250 billion for education in the next round of stimulus funding. If that doesn't happen, uh, I was talking to a state chief this week who was talking about warning his districts to expect a 30% cut in state wow. aid. Yeah. And that's just disastrous for kids. That's lost programming, that's layoffs. Yep. So there's a scary version. Hopefully we will not go down that path. Hopefully we'll go down the path where Congress steps up, puts in the money that protects us from cuts and actually dedicates resources to addressing learning loss. Right. So, so a few things I think could come out of this moment. One, closing the digital divide, mm. right? That we will finally see the necessary action at the federal, state and local level mm -hmm. uh, to close that divide that existed pre-COVID-19. Two, um, that folks will think differently of, about instruction in some useful ways. I, you know, I've seen this with my own kids, that part of what distance learning going well requires is that students are able to work on a project over time, are able to set goals, do time management, ask questions when they need help, uh, take feedback and act on that feedback. Those are skills we should be working on all the time. Yeah. But distance learning, I think, uh, focuses even more attention on those skills. So hopefully we will do more work going forward to support kids around those skills. And then maybe most hopefully, this is a moment where people will look at our equity gaps and say, this is unacceptable. Yeah. Uh, I hope that happens on healthcare and the yeah. racial disparities we're seeing in health outcomes around COVID-19. And I hope it happens in education where we say it shouldn't be race or zip code or your family's income that determines whether or not you get a quality education. Yeah. Well, that, that's a great segue because we're going we're gonna to switch gears a little bit. Um, I saw you speak at um, an NAACP gathering this year. 
Um, I know equity and opportunity are things that you're really passionate about in education. You know that locally and nationally, the resegregation of our schools and boundary changes um, are important topics that need to be addressed in some way. I ask you, John, is there the political will and the community will to tackle this problem? And how should systems address persistent issues of equity and opportunity in schools? Well, I, I believe there is the political will, but I, but we have to make the case okay. and we have to organize. And, you know, I, I tried to be helpful to the superintendent in Howard County mm-hmm. as he worked to try to build into their uh, school assignment policies um, intentional socioeconomic integration of mm-hmm. their schools. Now, there was some pushback, uh, some of it surprisingly ugly pushback. Yep. Um, some of it was, was, you know, reasonable concern that parents right. had about uh, transportation issues and changing schools for their kids and what that would mean. Um, you know, the Howard County community worked through it. Mm-hmm. The board did the right thing and approved a plan that will move them closer to socioeconomic integration. Uh, you know, I, one of the things I love about Montgomery County schools uh, is that my kids are in schools that are racially and socioeconomically integrated. Right. It takes work to maintain them. You all know that. And yep. so the board needs to continue to lead on this front and when making decisions about school assignment needs to consider how do we ensure racial and socioeconomic integration, both because it's beneficial uh, to low-income students who have access to opportunity, but it's actually beneficial to all students. All students need to be prepared to live and work with diverse folks in diverse communities. Everybody learns from diversity. Research evidence is clear that you become a better critical thinker if you spend time in diverse communities. So I'm actually hopeful about where we are. I think there is the will, um, but it will take work. Sure. And then we got to make sure the resources are equitably distributed. Mm-hmm. And those two things have to go together, intentional racial and socioeconomic integration and equitable access to resources across schools and within schools as well. Do you think, Do you think um, that where we are now in terms of distance learning, um, do you think it has the potential to to close those gaps? Do you think it is an equalizer? Um, and I guess p- part of what I'm thinking, so last show we had a, a pretty spirited debate on Jeb Bush wrote an opinion <laughs> calling distance learning, remote learning, the, the future of education. Um, and, you know, I was like, what, what is this guy talking about? But at the same time, as I hear you talking about kind of how distance learning could or should be done, um, specifically as it relates to more project-based learning. And I think as we get better at it too, it, you know, I think we would all anticipate were this to continue, we'd get better at it. Um, do you think it, it is uh, a great opportunity to, and I, I hesitate to use the word fix, but to address some of those structural equity issues, some of those structural inequities, um, and some of the things that have kind of been stubbornly persistent uh, that we as school systems at large have not yet solved? great question. I mean, I, you know, at the end of the day, I think education is really about the relationship between the teacher and the student and the work in which they are engaged. And technology 
can be a useful tool to support that. So you think about high needs rural communities where they may not be able to have an AP class, but through distance learning, that AP class might be made available. Or they may not have a teacher who can teach Mandarin, but a kid wants to take Mandarin so you can help them have access to that. Or you think about a student who would benefit from intensive tutoring and might be able to get that. So we're project-based learning and how technology could be a tool to expand the use of project-based learning. But it still comes back to the relationship. And so I feel like uh, distance learning and ed tech are kind of overhyped by the enthusiasts yeah. um, who are missing the importance of that fundamental relationship that develops in a classroom. And, you know, I always tell folks, my life was saved by my relationship with my fourth, fifth, sixth grade teacher. Um, my mom passed away in October of my fourth grade year when I was eight. Wow. And uh, I was in Mr. Osterweil's class. And during that whole period after my mom passed, it was just my dad and me. My dad had undiagnosed Alzheimer's. So home was this place that was scary and inconsistent. And the thing that saved me was that in Mr. Osterweil's class, I felt safe and supported. And we did uh, productions of Midsummer Night's Dream and Alice in Wonderland. We read the New York Times every day. We went to the museum and the ballet. And he just created this space where I could be a kid. And that relationship, I don't think would have been possible just with technology. That's about that teacher-student relationship. And, and that, you know, my, my dad passed them when I was 12. But I, and I moved around different family members, different schools, but it was always the relationships with teachers that made the difference for me. So I just am personally so committed to that. So I, I get nervous when ed tech enthusiasts go too far yeah. in the yeah. role that it could play. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, but this, this has sure shown the importance of teachers, what we've gone through over the last eight weeks and what yeah. they're doing and what they're doing every day, even though they're yeah. not with kids they're, they're, they're keeping the, the thing afloat as we speak. Absolutely. I mean, there are kids who, in that morning meeting with the elementary school teacher where they see their teacher and they yep. see their peers and everybody checks in, like that is the thing that they are yep. looking forward to every day yep. that's giving them inspiration. Yep. Yep. All right, Mr. Sids, you got, you got one last one. Or are you ready to transition to the quiz? It's your call. I have the quiz. All Here right. All right. Table. So, 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 uh, Secretary King's last, uh, last thing he has to do today is, is take part in a, in a quiz. <laughs> but you have a, 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 an end of lesson assessment to take. Uh, At the so, end of a 50 hour day. Uh, it's fine. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Uh, Secretary King, it's been great having you on the show, but before you leave, and since you are a fellow educator, we have to end our time with a short quiz. Uh, we know you're an educator, former principal, former education secretary, but we want to know, Secretary King, what you know about King vultures. <laughs> if you answer two of the three quirky facts about one of the largest vultures in our hemisphere, huh. you win. And I know you're a former social studies teacher, so it's a little out of your wheelhouse, but you can do yeah. it. <laughs> I wish our, I wish our listeners could see Secretary <laughs> King's face. <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> All right. So... And Robbie, you cannot pipe in. Okay. Number, number one, the king vultures genus species is 
Sarcoramphus papa, which <laughs> translates as what? A, the dad's coffin, B, the Pope's fleshy beak, or C, the dad swag? <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm going to go with dad's coffin. Oh, it's incorrect. It's actually the Pope's fleshy beak. All right. Wow. It refers to the bright orange skin on the top of the orange beak. Specifically because the bird is white, has white and black feathers resembling a pope's vestments. All right. So you learned something new. Number two, <laughs> you still have a chance to get the next two right. Number two, ever the fashionista, the head and neck of a king vulture are featherless for what reason? A, it helps to prevent bacteria and blood from fouling up the feathers on the head. B, to keep it camouflage. Or C, because it just looks cool. <laughs> Camouflage? It's actually A, it helps prevent bacteria and blood. Wow. Following wow. up the feathers on the head. Wow. Okay. Good thing this I next... did not teach science. <laughs> <laughs> then the last one uh, is, is, is a, you're going to get it. The fleshy waddle that bulges from the king vulture's beak is called what? A, a car ant. B, a car uncle. Or C, a car stepdad. <laughs> wow. <laughs> car aunt? It's actually car uncle. Uh, <laughs> it's all right, John. <laughs> Both males and females sport these facial features, though the waddle's purpose continues to perplex scientists. There's actually no such thing as a king vulture. He just literally made it up. did not make it up. <laughs> Uh, the three of us, one of the things that we hope will come out of, of <laughs> distance learning is a change in the way we, we grade in American public education, and yet Casey holds on to these multiple choice questions. <laughs> yes. So you're, stuck, you're stuck in the past. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I would much to... rather do a project. On <laughs> <laughs> Next time we have you all, we're going to get you prepped on a project. Don't you worry. <laughs> right. All, all right, John. Uh, Thank you for indulging me. I appreciate it. Before we let you go, um, tell, tell our listeners what you're working on right now, what, what your, your main passion project is, and, and where folks can find you. Uh, sure. Uh, so my organization is Education Trust. We're at edtrust.org. I am on Twitter, uh, at John B. King. Um, the passion project right now, I don't know if I can limit it to one. I'll say two that I'm very focused on. One is um, I'm very worried about food security. Uh, we're seeing all over the country uh, an incredible increase in hunger, especially amongst children and families. Mm -hmm. uh, school districts are doing amazing work, including Montgomery County, and trying to get food distributed to families. Mm -hmm. uh, but we've got to do more. And one thing that we've worked on at Ed Trust and continue to work on is to get states to adopt something called pandemic EBT, which allows families to get the, the value of free and reduced price lunch on an ATM-like card that they can mm -hmm. use when shopping for groceries. Oh, wow. And awesome. Maryland applied to do that. Recently, it was announced that Maryland will be able to move forward with pandemic EBT. There are about 20 states now that are doing it, and it will make a real difference in people being able to access food. So that's, that's a passion. On a more um, academic note, uh, we've just got to persuade Congress that 
Uh, they've got to put in the money to protect states from cuts, but then put in money uh, for expanded learning time and dropout prevention. I'm really worried about kids um, not coming back yeah. to high school, right. particularly kids who have already a fragile relationship with yep. school. Yep. Uh, I'm also worried about kids coming back and the experience being sort of jarring of being back in school and kids dropping out in September or October of next year. And, and we know what we can do to prevent dropouts. We know that relationships matter, that relationships with counselors, with mental health service providers, with teachers, uh, with mentors from programs like a city year or other AmeriCorps programs, that, that can be the difference in keeping kids in school. So we've, we've got work to do to persuade Congress about that investment, but it's just, it, it's crucial. Um, we're all better off if kids stay on track to graduate from high school and go on to additional post-secondary education so that they can be ready for successful careers and ready to participate in our democracy. Yeah. Well, our guest is John King. John, thank you so much for coming on Ed's Not Dead. It's been a privilege to have you on the show, and um, we look forward to seeing your work in the future on behalf of kids all across the country. Uh, thanks again. Thanks for the opportunity, and thanks for what all of you do. Thank, Thank you. you. Take care, King. Appreciate Thanks. it. All right, fellas. We are incredibly excited tonight to have Dr. Sunil Dasgupta on Ed's Not Dead. He's running for the at-large seat on the Montgomery County Board of Education. Um, he's a local, local citizen, and we're... Um, we're grateful that he's agreed to come on the show and talk about um, his vision and, and um, desires for the Montgomery County Public Schools. Uh, so welcome to the show, Dr. Dasgupta. We're glad to have you on Ed's Not Dead. Thank you. I'm a fan. Oh, good. good here. He's, he's an a, Ed's Not Dead head. He, that, <laughs> he's an Ed's Not Dead head. I don't think we've ever used that before, Casey. Oh, episode title, maybe. All right. Well, Dr. Dasgupta got that for, for being on the show. Um, so let's jump in. All right. um, what prompted you to run for the Board of Education in Montgomery County? So I've been, uh, I got involved in schools advocacy uh, because one of my kids fell through the cracks uh, at school. Um, and as I investigated this more, uh, I, for the, you know, I found out that her uh, third grade teacher at that time uh, had quit in the first four months of, uh, of the school year. Uh, and I found that this is not just a problem, um, you know, in her classroom or in her, in her school, but also sort of more broadly. I found also that uh, the, um, you know, the home and school partnership that was supposed to be working in, you know, was not quite working as advertised. And so I became more and more involved. I became PTA president. Um, I became... Uh, the health and safety chair for Montgomery County Council of PTAs. And in that position, um, that year, which is 2017, um, um, that I think that fall, we had three deaths by suicide uh, in the school system. Mm. And we knew that there was a, um, we had a mental, mental health crisis on our hands and that we had to respond to it somehow. And, and in um, April of 2018, we organized the first mental health and wellness forum for families and students and staff. Uh, it was in Gaithersburg High School. We had 
you know, more than 200 people show up. Uh, we had a great program. And I've been doing this every year since uh, to larger and larger audiences. Um, and so uh, basically I got more and more involved in the, in the school system. I was in meeting after meeting after meeting. Uh, and then, you know, um, I'd been one of the things that we've been pushing for um, sort of strongly is to have more counselors uh, in the school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And um, when we got, you know, you got five here and six there and seven there and when we needed hundred. Right? Um, so um, last December, as I said to myself, either I put up or I shut up. So I decided I'm going to put up. <laughs> nice. All right, what do you, you, what are your expectations for uh, upon election? What do you want to accomplish on the board? What are your goals as a member of, of the board? Look, the first priority of any school, any school system has to be improve learning outcomes and the well-being of its students. Sure. And, and I'm no different. I think all of us who are running are essentially interest, at the center interested in making sure that students have better academic outcomes yeah. and better um, social emotional outcomes. So all of those things. Um, the, um, but the question really is, how do you get to it? And to me, as I looked uh, at the schools and my experience doing this, I had had thought of three things that were going to be very important. I thought we're going to get at class sizes. And I I was going to do that by getting, um, by finding a way to hire more teachers and staff and counselors. Uh, And the second thing I wanted to do was to make a big investment in the mental health of our um, students and staff. And the third thing I wanted to do was rebuild the home and school partnership. I know it sounds kind of weird, but the, but you know, I think that you know, I don't, I don't know who my kids' teachers um, are often, wow. right? Because uh, and they don't know who the heck I am. So I, in fact, <laughs> um, you know, last year at the beginning of last year, I started a happy hour. I don't know if you know about that. It's called, and uh, we started a Facebook group called Parent Teacher Exchange, and okay. we started holding monthly happy hours around the count around the county and that was very successful people just wanted to come out have a beer and you know see who parents are and who teachers yeah. are we are not complaining about teachers all the time <laughs> and we are not these monster parents so you know i think getting that part uh was was very important so those are the th- three things i was pushing for yeah but you know those things are still valid but now now with the pandemic I think we face a huge new set of things. Budget cuts, yeah. uh, distance learning, academic loss, unequal access, trauma. Yeah. And so the next few years are going to be very, very tough. I recognize that. And, you know, we have to have really uh, a board that is willing to make tough decisions but to do it in a way that brings the county along. So the county, um, by the time this episode comes out, will be last, last week, uh, just passed uh, an update to the grading policy right. um, where uh, students can elect pass, fail, or they can choose a letter grade. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious your thoughts on this, and I'll, sh- I'll share mine. And if you want to respond to that, you can. <laughs> okay. uh, it seems like the ultimate hedge um, of not coming down on either side of an issue. Um, you know, and we'll, we'll see how it plays out, but it seems 
an attempt to appease everyone rather than just taking a difficult stand on one side of the issue or the other. Right. I mean, that's what the board is known for, right? I mean, we, the board, even if you look at grading or boundaries or whatever it is, right? We are trying, the board is trying in some ways to play neutral and to, as you said, appease uh, the largest uh, group of people, right? I think, I think in this case, um, you know, there, wa- there is a clear need to hold harmless, um, you know, students that are um, adversely impacted by, mm-hmm. uh, by the pandemic. Yeah. And so we have to do that. But, th- yeah, but the board also faces significant pressure from parts of the county that are not facing those pressures and feel like this is a waste of uh, yeah. uh, time for them. And Personally, I have I've I've said this repeatedly on social media, but and, and whoever will talk to me is that you know I think we have to exercise patience. Yeah. So to to go back to the grading issue, right? I you know I think I think there's some degree of hesitation to speak to parents in forthright manner in the leadership, and I hope that we can change that. So um, there, the MCPS uh, commissioned a boundary analysis about a year ago, I guess. Is that correct, Dr. Dasgupta? Yeah. Um, and as a result, there, there has been um, a lot of discussion across uh, the county and, and across different parts of the system about boundaries and specifically diversity in our schools um and it's it 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 tends to it tends to be a polarizing um issue right in and of itself because um many times it it it's at least perceived that it will in some way impact um the schools that parents want their kids to go to um and then there are there are there are phrases like neighborhood schools that have been around for a long time um, in, in our local area, going back as far as the as the 70s, with desegregation actions in the 70s in MCPS. Um, I, I we're curious about your take on this issue as it currently stands, and then what do you think are some things that the system should do? Um, I know there won't be recommendations necessarily in the boundary analysis, uh, but your vision for diversity and making sure that there's opportunity for all kids in good schools in Montgomery County. All right. Let me start with the basic. First of all, I think some kind of change is inevitable, right? We have a, we have a situation where we have, according to MCPS numbers, um, at the start of the year, we had 10,860 students overcrowded in about half our schools, about 100 of our schools, right? And then equally, we had 9,357 open seats in the other half of our schools. That's an untenable situation, right? From a fiscal point of view, that's just completely, um, you know, we can't continue to do this, certainly not in this fiscal environment. Certainly not when we're going to see budget short, uh, shortfalls, we are not going to be able to keep building um, and, 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 and continue to do this. We haven't really looked at system-wide boundary change 
for what, 35 years. Mm -hmm. And during this time, our population went from 600,000 to 1.2 million. So what I think ought to happen, right? And I think I'm perhaps the only candidate to have laid out some building blocks of it. And if you're ever interested, there is a uh, op-ed I wrote in Maryland Matters in December uh, of 2019 uh, detailing a lot of this. So the first thing is we need regular system-wide boundary change. Why do we need it regular, right? Why do we need it periodic? Because the problem with boundaries, right, is, not, is that they are static, right? That they, you can't move them. And when population shifts or demography shifts, right, we can't readily move boundaries. We don't have a policy instrument for that. So we need a policy instrument to be able to revisit as change happens. All right. So we've come to the time of the show, uh, Dr. Dashgupta. This has been great having you. Why should citizens of Montgomery County vote for you? The citizens of Montgomery County should vote for me because I'll be a strong voice on behalf of students and families and teachers. So in all of this conversation, we haven't talked much about teachers at all, right? Um, We've talked about students and students are absolutely uh, the front and center for what we do. Um, But education doesn't arrive to our children magically, right? Our teachers bring education to them. And I think if you look at from what I hear from teachers, they are stressed. They need more plan in elementary school. They need more planning time, mm-hmm. right? In um, uh, secondary school, they need more support, uh, especially uh, around ESOL and special ed. Um, and so, you know, we, ha- and, and we have this huge teacher shortage that, 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 uh, we have. So in, in many cases, you know, people say, oh, uh, the, the teaching is not this good or, you know, the quality of instruction is not that. But I think the biggest problem as principals you all have is to make sure that every classroom has a teacher. <laughs> and honestly, if we could get at the shortage, I think the quality of instruction, the quality of what we do inside of the school would improve dramatically. The last thing I would say is I am probably the only candidate that has taught online for years and years and years. And I know what works and what doesn't. If we are going to go down this path and it, I am loath to do it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I, you know, I am very, um, uh, I'm, I'm very conscious, sensitive to the idea that ed tech is going to descend on us. <laughs> and is going to uh, uh, seek to replace teachers with technology. Yeah. I, am t- I am expecting that to happen 100%, right? That's my but, mantra. Uh, <laughs> huh? That's what I always say. I'm like, that be Crable, careful. I'm warning you. Crable, yeah. Crable has a tin hat over there under the... Well, you know, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I think that's coming. I mean, yeah. really. If I, I was listening to you all talk about uh, Jeb Bush. Um, <laughs> Exclamation and, point. And I was like, there you go. I mean, these guys, I mean, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So, yes. I, so I think, you know, you need somebody at the helm, right? Who knows this stuff. All right. Dr. Dasguba, where can our listeners uh, find you? Um, they can find me uh, on the, um, on my website, uh, okay. sunildasgupta.com. They can find me on Twitter 
at Sunil Dasgupta and number four. Uh, they can find me also uh, on Facebook, Sunil at um, Su- Su- Sunil for School Board. I beg your pardon. <laughs> um, and I'm also on Instagram, but I'm not that good at it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got to get a TikTok uh, account. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, my kids have been, uh, my kids are not on social media, oh. but they have been, uh, uh, you know, proselytizing for tiktok dad do some tiktok dance. yeah that that that, that might be, be that might be a differentiator you might want to consider it uh, all right sunil well it's been great having you on the show thanks for taking some time out to join casey and and myself and peter Thank uh, you so best much. best of luck in the ensuing months with your campaign and uh we'll be keeping close tabs on you thanks again all right thank you very much enjoyed it very much all right take care bye Welcome back to Ed's Not Dead. I am Robbie Dodd. I'm still joined by my co-hosts, Mr. C.H. Siddons, who is making inappropriate facial. <laughs> How do you make inappropriate facial expressions? I was uh, facial. I was going to say facial gestures. <laughs> That's, sorry. Well, uh, you guys are very excited because what, Mr. Dodd, Dr. Dodd, what do I have ready for you? You have it. It's it's, it's the quiz show time. It's the quiz, quiz. show. All right, you ready? <clears throat> yep. This is a hold current on, event. Just, hold on, let's just take a moment. Quiz. Hold on, hold on. Okay. Let's just take a moment to reflect on the two great guests that we just had on. Let's great guests. Biggest show yet. This is our first two interview episode, and you want to rush right into a quiz show. We need to take a moment to reflect All right. on, on it. Maybe a moment of silence. I don't know. <laughs> but feel, it was feel, feel how you're, you're a big deal. We had freaking I, John I, King on. Yeah, John John King. Okay. Is, he's, a, he's a rock star. And yeah. Sunil, Dr. Sunil Dasgupta, great guess. Yeah. It's amazing. So, okay. Now we can yeah. move on to the quiz. <laughs> I, just, I just had to take a second to, you know. Really just quality quality conversations about education, honestly. Did, you didn't you like uh, Sunil Dasgupta's um, take when I told him that he was he was sharing, sharing he was co-headlining with with john king <laughs> he, he was he was pretty funny <laughs> it was a pretty funny john yeah. king uh my, if i might add i mean very polished interviewee yes right to the point oh uh, yeah political office perhaps i could see it in this in the state of maryland yeah yeah i could definitely see it uh Casey, well, you're you're few, you're few years away, but Casey, uh, you're our you're our politico. When does when does Gov- Governor Larry Hogan have to run again? I thought it was 2022, but I could be wrong. Okay, well, he's not running again. He's he's termed he's out. term limited. Oh, is he done? Yeah. Okay, that just shows my age that time is passing <laughs> this quick. Is he he's in his, he's in his second go round? Yeah. yeah, he just got reelected. Okay, all right. Where was I? Sorry. Um, all right, not so vote, it'll be a new, voting apparently. So that would that that uh, that would be a that would be a new field then, right? It John would be. King, John King would be entering a new field. No incumbent, it's wide open. Listen, we need more teachers in political office. Yep, uh, and uh, I loved Doctor Sunil Dasgupta's passion for uh, education and um, especially his perspective as a parent 
and yeah and he obviously knows a lot about it and he's fought a ton about it so and i think the the the, the motivations for getting into the race are sound and and you know a lot of people feel that way when they're frustrated and they want to do something and they this is the way to do it. Board of Education is 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 one of the most important positions, uh, elected positions that we can we can have. Yeah, also, and parent, and, and parent advocates like um, is is my own kids have gotten older and I, I you know I, I start to see things from a parent perspective. I'm like, man, I look back on my younger self who worked in schools as a teacher in various forms without kids, and I was like, I feel like I know so much more now having yeah. experienced it from this end as well. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to point out, although Casey might disagree, because this goes back three seasons, um, <laughs> Dr. Dr. Desgupta is an educator, contrary to your feelings about people that work in higher education. <laughs> oh, geez, that's really tough. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you, you've, you've, almost be, you've almost flat out claimed <laughs> that people that teach in colleges are not educators. Uh, so, I, I have not said that. You're putting yeah, pretty, words in my mouth. Pretty close, Craig. No, it's right? not pretty close. You're pretty putting close. words in my mouth. You're putting uh, words the in my words, mouth. would you put them and rearrange them? It's no, the no, no, no. You're putting words in my mouth and you're saying things that aren't true. Would you put them in the order <laughs> between, that between said, one way hallways? True. Listen, my foot is down between one way hallways and, and this egregious claim that says that college educators are not educators. Bogus. Constantly bashing Bogus. higher ed. Bogus. All right, quiz boy, what do you got? All right, we got a current events hodgepodge quiz. Are you ready? I'm, I'm ready. ready. I'm uh, who's going to win this one? Obviously. All right, number one. <laughs> recently, recently, our venerable president toured an N95 mask manufacturing plant in Phoenix, Arizona without a mask. Which Paul McCartney written song ironically played throughout the factory in the background? Is it A, Live and Let Die, B, Twist and Shout, or C, maybe I'm amazed. A. A. That is correct. Dodd got During a first. pandemic that has seen more than 70,000 deaths in the U.S., there is probably no worse song the president could walk out to. Bonus, if you have the appetite, I have a bonus question for you. The song played was actually a cover. Which 80s hard rock band was playing? Guns, Guns and Roses. Roses. Very good. Both y'all. Okay. Both all right. Y'all. Then let, let's, let's do extra, extra credit. Did you like that little appetite? Uh, appetite little for destruction in 1986. Woo! Izzy Stratham. <laughs> what do you want to do? Let's go. Let's go, Dodd. You want to go down on Guns uh, and Roses? Excuse me. Live and let die is not from Appetite for Destruction. <laughs> no, oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You were very confident. And, and, Live and, and let die was from 1993. Most people would have believed you, but you're wrong. The Live and Let Die version was from 1993. And let's go a little further back. What movie in the 70s is Live and Let Die from? James Bond. Very good, Mr. Siddons. And what was the title of that movie? Live and Let Die. Very good. And who? which Bond was it? It Sean, was... The, Sean Connery. No, it wasn't Sean Connery. It was Roger the, the guy who did three of them. Roger, of them. Really Roger Moore. Very good. Casey, I'm impressed. It was not Roger Moore. Live and Let Die was not Roger Moore. Uh, Live and Let Die was Roger Moore. 1972, my brother. Wrong. 73. Look it Wrong. up. See if I'm right. On, on the bye, Casey. Oh, uh, you're right. Do you remember? <laughs> I'm always right. <laughs> Do you remember when we were working together a bunch of years ago and I had a, this hardcore Paul McCartney phase and I was yes. Paul McCartney at about volume 10,000 in my room. 
Were you great. listening? To, were you, Were you listening to Wings all the time? Oh, dude, he was listening to the key changes. Oh, it was. It when was did so this good. not become my quiz? Okay. Anyway, number two. By the way, by the way, I'm. I think I'm. That's the actual score is like now three to nothing because I got like three questions. I said Guns and Roses. You're all tied. You. No, you did. Okay. Number so. two. In Dallas, Texas, this this past week, a salon owner was jailed for doing what? A, walking around a supermarket without a mask. B, for opening her business early. Or C, for not standing six feet away from others while protesting. B, I'll go with C. The correct answer is B, for opening her business early and violating the governor's executive stay-at-home order. Listen to this, the judge stating he would only fine her if she apologized, saying, quote, if you would like to take this opportunity to acknowledge that your actions were selfish, putting your own interests ahead of those in the community in which you live, the judge said to Miss Luther inside the courtroom Tuesday, Miss Luther refused and was placed in jail. <laughs> Number three, the Supreme Court was making history uh, about 10 days ago, holding arguments over the phone because of COVID-19 when all of a sudden this happened. A, Ruth Bader Ginsburg shouted at Brett Kavanaugh saying, you are muted. B, Justice Alito arrived without a shirt. Or C, C. there was the distinct sound of a toilet flushing. I'm going, was, I, I'm going with B. Mr. Grable? C. C. Uh, the correct answer is C. There was a distinct sound of a toilet flushing across the country, the public that has never before this week been able to listen in real time to oral arguments held remotely was treated not only to deep questions related to the First Amendment and robocalls, but also to someone else's apparent bathroom break. A, a, a would have been the, 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 the best answer, though. <laughs> you know, she was saying it, but she was on mute. Yeah. Number four, doctors treating patients with coronavirus in Russia are mysteriously doing what? A, falling out of windows, B, disappearing, or C, getting spat on? Disappearing, C, B. Getting spat on. Uh, the correct answer is A, falling out of windows. Three Russian doctors working to treat coronavirus patients have mysteriously fallen out of windows in recent weeks, underscoring the country's struggling healthcare system and leading to suspicions of foul play. Mm. Number five, 93-year-old Pennsylvania native Olive Veronese received a special gift from the Colorado Rockies this past month. What was it? A, beer, B, special edibles, or C, whiskey? A, beer. Whiskey. Answer is A, beer, 150 cans to be exact. Coors Light. She was down to her last 12 cans of beer a few weeks ago, and she went viral asking for more with a cheeky whiteboard message. Dad, you ever nice. been to you ever been to Golden, Colorado? I have not. I, uh, good point. Good, it's a good good looking town. I heard good. the beer comes right out of the mountains. Did right down, right down the mountains. <laughs> when I went uh, backpacking with my brother, we stopped in Golden on the way back. And we had not uh, showered in, in three or four days. Oh, dear. We found a community center. <laughs> it was like five or ten bucks to get in with a pool. Uh, we had no towels. So we went out and sat in that. Uh, they had like a patio. And in the like Colorado sunshine where there's zero percent humidity. And dried off in about five minutes. Amazing. Oh, that's awesome. Great, great memory. Yeah. Did they give out free Coors Light at the community center? Actually, they did. Yeah, it was weird. I, 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 all I know about Coors is that I remember as a kid in the, in the early 80s when Coors started to get to be kind of a national brand, I remember my dad saying negative things about the Coors family because they were 
pretty far to the right, if oh. I recall correctly. Yeah, they were like Nazis or something like that. I, I seem to remember. I I seem to remember some ridiculous story about them. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't know that. You just that. That was whew, quite an accusation. Curveball. I don't. I don't know. They, they right. could be Nazis. Okay, just number just six. So, just so you know, folks, you never heard that because we're going to edit that out. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> number six, a century-old law against this missive in public was recently repealed by Virginia legislators. A, jaywalking, B, spitting, or C, cursing. Spitting, B. Uh, C again, I'm just going to go C. The answer is C, cursing (laughs) is now legal. (laughs) Number seven, Ontario has new license plates, but they have a problem. What is it? A, you can't read them. B, they're dissolving within days because they're made from plants. Or C, they don't have numbers on them. <laughs> don't have. You can't. I'm gonna Whoa. Go with, I'm, sorry. <laughs> you can't see that. Jeez, that was surprising. I'm going to go with C just because I've, C, is, C is my jam. Robbie is correct. You can't read them. Between the color scheme and reflective coating, they're almost impossible to read, even from a short distance. And our last question. Can you imitate a Canadian, Mr. Sins? Oh, yeah, eh? Okay. <laughs> our uh, last question is not multiple choice. You have to give me a number. Our venerable president, again, has suggested that they paint his infamous wall black, and it shows costs ranging from $500 million for two coats of acrylic paint to more than $3 billion for a premium powder coating on the structure. How many public high schools can a public school system build with $500 million? $500 million? Say, what's the question again? How many high schools? How many high schools can a public school system build with $500 million? I'll say seven. I'll say a hundred. <laughs> the answer is 11. I was close. Yeah, I, I know. Cause a school, They're not too, expensive, a school, <laughs> not to, a school, not too far from here was about 90 million. There you go. 90 yep. million. Yep. Yep. So I, I get that one too. Yeah. Yeah. That goes. <laughs> how, many, how many did Crable say? Crable <laughs> might need to go back to 10. that. I said ten. Trevor said a hundred. By the time the quizzes get to the end, he gets disengaged and he just throws out random answers. I think. It, I think. It, I think he might be a subject for that that article on the math thing we did. <laughs> he missed some basic. Like I don't know how much schools cost. I literally have no idea. <laughs> Five million each. That's uh, what, that was what I was going with. All right, Casey. That was a good one. Uh, I think I won again. Was I wasn't that, keeping was, score. Was was uh was Live and Let Die really ninety three by Guns N' Roses? Uh, it was yes. Interesting. What was the album? I don't know. Uh, I want to say Use Your Illusion one and two. Well, we you know they were that? separate. It was one or the other. Okay, you're gonna make me say which. It, it was the same. They a were two album. different albums. Say Robbie. the say the album again, Robbie. Use Your Illusion. Yeah. Well, there was Use two of them. Illusion. It was Use Your Illusion one. You couldn't even take a stand. Weak, weak sauce. <laughs> Am I right, or or was it maybe not on an album? Maybe it was. Just I just said it was Use Your Illusion One. I looked it up. <laughs> you did. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. right here. Use Your Illusion yeah. One, 1991. Okay, I was right. Um, I also do need to say that my totally off base claims about the Chorus family are totally unfounded. Okay, yeah, <laughs> it's it's totally. Uh, Insane conspiracy theory. You need <laughs> take to, that back. You need that to made a, my night. A serious public apology. Just don't, don't, 
don't tweet at us or send us anything about Crable's ignorance, please. I apologize. They should send us free beer. His his like I, he really the tin hat. I quarantine has done something to him. <laughs> yeah, funny, it has. Like, all week. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, as always, folks, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service <laughs> educational media company specializing in leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. You can find and historical us- research. <laughs> <laughs> historical research yes you can find us at at ed's not dead pc on twitter visit the website ed's not dead.com check out our new blogs or their new blogs um once again uh thank you to john king and dr sunil dasgupta for joining the show they were awesome guests boys it's always good to see you who's coming up what's what's coming up next if you run out of guests mr siddons no, we got Jose Wilson coming on the show and uh, maybe a major superintendent. Okay. We can get in touch with him. All right. Very, very nice. Um, real quick before we sign off, uh, Crable, what are you watching? Five seconds or less. Yeah, no, I got nothing. Rick okay. and Morty. Rick and Morty season four, baby. <laughs> Rick and Morty season four. Yeah. Not last dance, Crable? No? Yeah, so, I, uh, that's the only thing consistently. Okay. All right. Same with me. All right, folks, spread the, spread the word about Ed's Not Dead. As always, thanks for joining the show. Uh, we appreciate your support, and we will see you next time. Later, fellas. See you.